Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, and I'm, jo- I'm joined by Chris Beasley. Good morning, Chris. Morning, Sam. And Ian Kroll. Morning, Ian. Hello, Sam. We'll get straight into it, lads. It's a couple of days after Everton beat Crystal Palace at the weekend. We left it late. We left it very late indeed. Chris, you were there. Yeah. What was your thoughts on the game? Yeah, like you like you say, um, it, obviously what it was late and for a long time Everton were far from convincing. Uh, they came up against a very stubborn Crystal Palace side, defended very well and as we know we're going to talk about in the podcast, it could have easily gone the other way had not been for that penalty save. Um, so it's one of those where Everton can reflect on that um, afterwards and be, and be um, relieved that they did get the three points and that's the all important thing but the performance itself, you know, there were good elements in there, but um, overall it was frustrating. It's a, it, it was almost like uh, Everton got away with it a bit. Agree with that, Ian? Um, I don't know. I think maybe getting away with it is a, a little bit too harsh. I think anyone who thought Chris, we were going to turn up at Goodison Park on Sunday afternoon and roll Palace over, you know, was hugely mistaken. You know, Crystal Palace are, you know, a very good, solid Premier League team. You know, they're obviously struggling at the moment. They're fighting relegation. So that that's where the, you know, the belief that Everton should just turn up at Goodison Park and, and, and win the game easily. It's never going to be the case against any Premier League team. And it's, it's proved that at home, especially against like so, you know, teams that you'd expect to beat against Huddersfield and, and, and West Ham. We, we've struggled. So for Everton to, yeah, we didn't, we didn't get the breakthrough until the 80-odd minutes. But to get the breakthrough the way we did, battle, be patient. Um, it just just proves that we've got that quality. And I, I think most Premier League games are like that. The little do, differences. Do you not think though, would Everton have won that game if Jordan Pickford didn't save that penalty? We, we did get away with it in that sense, didn't we? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely a penalty. I, th- I, th- I think there's no complaint, complaints about that. But, you know, it's part and parcel of the game. You know, they got the penalty and the keeper saved it. And, you know, as much credit should go to Jordan Pickford as it does to Dominic Carver-Lewin for making the making the breakthrough. But what I mean is, though, I think most Premier League games are are always going to be in the balance. It's it's those little margins that um, that teams that make to, to to win games, and you know it's very pleasing that that we found that little margin to win that game because I think any other manager, any other team, any other season, we probably would have gone on to draw even have lost that game and I think it was very very pleasing to uh, see the crowd be patient and not get on the team's back and you know support them and it proved dividends I think in the end yeah as I was saying like um, Ian said there there's a certain amount of gratification of getting those those tight games I mean you can't always play free-flowing football yeah. every week and just roll teams over so when it is these close games and um, it, it's in the balance it is um, being able to tough them out where you will see at the end of the season you're going to be finishing higher up the table than you would have done if you, if you can't um, close out these tight matches yeah I mean, you, you look at the likes of teams who've won the, uh, the leagues and trophies in the past I bet you um, a large majority of those games were 
you know, in the balance at the time. Okay, you see the likes of Arsenal and, you know, City, probably more more so on um, at the weekend rolling over. Brighton, was it? Yeah. Well, they won 5 0. Burnley, sorry. They won 5 0, didn't they? So, you know, you're always going to try and compare yourself to them teams because that is what you, you need to aspire to. But we were never going to roll Palace over. And the fact that we, we battled and we managed to get the three points is, is hugely pleasing for me. And we're going to go into a tough game against United. And again, it's it's going to be small margins that are, that are going to win that game. Maybe even just get us a point. Now, Chris Beasley sitting in front of me, I'm going to reveal to everyone listening that you do have one of the most impressive collections of retro Everton shirts about. <laughs> and I was disappointed to find out you didn't wear one in the press box this weekend. <laughs> but the most exciting part for everyone watching when the teams were announced, Chris, the inclusion of Andre Gomez from the start, mm-hmm. Adam Jones on the whistle, wrote a glowing, a glowing review of Andre's performance. What did you make of it? Yeah, it, it, was, it was very impressive given that how long he'd been out of the team. Um, he's not been fit. Um, when he signed, he, he was he was carrying a knock and he's had to be patient to, to wait for his opportunity to to get up to, to speed. And of course, like any player coming in from the Spanish league to the Premier League, it's going to be a, a change of pace and a different kind of intensity. So I thought he did very well. He, he's, a, he's a big fella, because considering what a, a silky player is. He's a, he's a big unit. He's, a, he's about six foot two in height and a, a, a decent physicality about him. So I know there are obviously those comparisons to Mikel Arteta and the fact that Everton haven't had a ball player midfielder of that ilk since his time at the club and um, obviously both from um, Iberian stock. So there are similarities, but he is a much more physically imposing player. And he did, he, he, as well as uh, spraying those nice passes, picking a pass, he was able to um, to get stuck in a bit and he was able to um, impose himself in that um side of the game you could see towards the end that obviously he, he was um, he was tiring a bit but it was it was a real good shift and um, he got offered a, a different dimension I think than what Everton have got with their, the other midfielders at the club he, he does offer that that different kind of profile which which I think will um, serve them well and obviously there, just earlier we spoke about Everton toughing it out but a lot of the better moments of the game and the nicer football we played did come through Gomez, didn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, we've been eagerly awaiting his, his first appearance. You know, we he came injured, didn't he? And then he was, he was you know, almost on the brink of the first team. He had a bit of a setback and obviously Sunday was his first game. I just think we, we need to be patient with him. Not Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. You know, you're always going to draw comparisons with with different players, Arteta, obviously, as Chris mentioned. Um, the size of him... It, is a bit of a shock, really. You know, I'm sure if you're standing next to him in that midfield, um, as an opposition player, you're going to be not worried, but you're going to be like, well, he is a, he is a big fella, and the fact that he he does seem to be very comfortable on the ball, very silky. Um, some of his forward passing for me um, was great. You know, I mentioned it yesterday in the, the fan podcast that he we we haven't had that type of player where it was it was very direct, but into feet on the floor, mm-hmm. um, and. A lot of the time, I'm not, you know, I'm not Schneiderland's biggest fan, but he is, he is the type of player that just he gets the ball and passes it sideways, five meters, and it's not what we want. We wanted Schneiderland to be um, Andre Gomez, as one of the fans said in the podcast yesterday. Like I said, it, it's one game. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's let's be patient with him. Um, but it, it looks it looks very promising. And it was, it was a gutsy move by Silver, really, wasn't it, Chris? Obviously, Tom Davis has only been a standing captain this season, but. Yeah you know, a young midfielder who's came through the academy and, and whatever you think about Davis's performances this season, now he's progressing, you know, to, to, to throw Silver, uh, to throw Gomez straight in like that yeah. was a pretty courageous decision. And do you feel maybe like 
Tom could be make a case for being hard done by. Well, yes, yeah, certainly. He'd be disappointed, like you say. Um, the manager has shown a lot of faith in him this season. Um, he, to be handed the armband, I mean, it was a great honour. It's, it's such a young age, and he's been an important part of what Evan have done so far. But it shows that Silva is not afraid of making those those big calls, those um, harsh decisions when when they have to be made. Um, like um, John Joe Kenny too. I'm sure we'll we'll touch on that. And, um, Seamus Coleman was back fit, and he came straight back in. Um, yeah, it's disappointing for Tom, but you're going to get that as a young player, not just the young players, all the players are going to have to realise that he's got more or less a full squad fit now available to him for the first time. And there is a competition for places and that's what Everton want, that's what the players want and it'll keep everyone on their toes. I think it was an easy decision, to be honest, you know. You say like courageous and maybe Davis himself personally could feel hard done by, but if you look at it on paper, we've got a youngster in Tom Davis who's... 19 who's, who's played um, not just played he's had the responsibility put on his shoulders he's been he's been given captain and for me I've defended Tom Davis to the hill but he shouldn't have been put in that situation he's too young I understand you think he shouldn't have been captain I just think Marco Silva is obviously trying to blood blood him into the team and give him that responsibility and put on his shoulders but I don't think he's maybe stepped up to the plate as maybe with thoughts because the performances haven't been there and whether you agree or not, criticism or not, I think it's it's harsh to criticise him just because of his age. At the end of the day, he's probably only in that team because he's a youngster from from Liverpool, an Everton fan. Um, he's got the qualities, I, 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 I'm sure of it, and I think he could go on to be a very good Everton player. But on paper, when Marco Silva looks at that team, he's got Andre Gomez on his left, he's got Tom Davis on his right. Um, Andre Gomez has played for Barcelona, he's, he's played at the highest level. When that Andre Gomez is fit. There's no question for me that he should be in ahead of Davis. Absolutely no question. Is that something you'd agree with, Chris? Um, yeah, when, when he's fit, certainly he's got um, that pedigree and that's why he's been brought to the club. Um, but obviously it was it was a big call given that it was straight back in from the international break and the, he'd not played in England before. So what we're seeing with Yeri Mina is that perhaps Everton now have the luxury of easing him in and choosing when to, to pick, exactly. pick and choose his minutes. But um, with, with, um, with Gomez um, having uh, no experience at all, it, it, it was a big call, but I certainly go along with what Ian says in the overall picture. Once everyone's up and running and when you look at the two players profile you, you would expect that um, Gomez would be the, yeah. the senior player there I, I'm not I'm not having a go with no. Davis I, I'm not I, I, I like him I think he's, he can be a very very good player for Everton but but not at this moment in time the responsibility is, is too much too much for him so if Gomez is fit he's in and like Chris has just said there the performances of Michael Keane and Zuma over the past probably two to three games with now Yerimina fit, have kept Yerimina out of the team. Silva's like noted those performances of the back two and he, he's kept it as it is. So for me, Gomez, um, should he be fit on Sunday, he keeps his he keeps his place. Two years ago in it'll be two years ago in January, Morgan Schneiderlin arrived at Goodison Chris. Mm-hmm. For me, at that time he looked like one of the most complete midfielders that uh, I'd seen playing in my comparatively short time watching Everton, now you could probably make a case for him being the last choice midfielder with the arrival of Andre Gomez. What what does the future hold for Morgan Schneider in Everton? It's certainly an intriguing one because he, he's gone full circle. His first um, 
few months at the club, he, like you say, he, he was excellent. He came in, fitted in straight away, was seen as a real Rolls-Royce of a player, um, certainly adding an extra dimension of quality, and you'd expect that from a player coming in from Manchester United, and, and it looked all good. I remember um, interviewing him when he came to the club, he seemed very articulate off the pitch as well, seemed to be a good character, but then it, it all fell away spectacularly um, last season. It's been well documented, then the problems he had then, and a breakdown of communications with certain elements of the fan base so he really um, sunk to, to rock bottom then but then there's been this period of rehabilitation again where he, he seems to have picked up his, his performances on under Marco Silva but yet now that um, G- Gomez is, is fit um, he's, it's, you're Chop wondering, where, yeah, you're wondering where, um, where it's, it's going to go for him um, he, he's clearly a, a player of um, great quality but like um, Ian was saying He's got to be offering a bit more, given that Idrissa Gay is such a, a good player when it comes to mopping up and handling those defensive midfield op- um, situations. You want the other midfielders to be offering a bit more going forward. So if he's not doing those forward passes in the way that um, Gomez is doing, you're going to be struggling. You certainly don't want to be playing two sitters when too often at home against the lesser likes. Okay, it's horses for courses and in certain matches away against the the top six, the big six, as it were, you might want those two more defensive-minded midfielders. But I'd imagine Morgan Schneiderlin would expect to be playing most games and uh, he might struggle now. Just just touching on what Chris has said there quickly, do you think that could be part of... Everton's problem, obviously, it's again well documented. The the struggles we've had away from home against the inverted commas big six. Do you think now it's time to kind of stop changing our tactics away, stop going with this two defensive midfielders? Should against Manchester United now, should we take the initiative? We've won three games on the run. Gomez, Gay, and Sigurdsson. Should that be the midfield three? I think I think that's always been a bit of a debate, hasn't it, between Everton fans? Whether you know, especially certainly under the. It basically hasn't worked since the first Martinez season, has it, when we had McCarthy and Barry in, in tandem? Yeah, but I, I think we've always thought, you know, against the top six, as you would uh, describe them, that we should probably play two holding midfielders, away from home, certainly, anyway. Um, you know, against the, the lesser the lesser teams in the league, especially at home, you know, we were always crying out for just the one holding midfielder to, you know, to, to give us that other option of an attacking player further afield to give the opposition defence something to think about. I think probably going into um, Sunday, I've already mentioned, I think if Gomez is fit, there's no reason why that team should change because like that's other than maybe, you know, on paper, Yeri Mina being in there, it's it's probably looking like our our best 11 really. Um, And I think that's what Silva needs to, he struggled to find it certainly over over the the opening weeks of the season, but he needs to find his best team at least till January. I mean, and in terms of Snarling, his Future with at Everton is only going to depend on uh, Andre Gomez and whether you know he continues to to play play as well as he has done in his first game and whether Everton you know make a move for him in January or or the summer. But Snadlin, I think when he first came, yeah, he, he he came at a you know from a, a massive team in Man United, hefty price tag, found his feet very quickly in the team. But he found his feet just doing exactly what he's doing now. Maybe we're in the ball back looking silky, as Chris or like a lot of people are describing as a Rolls Royce of a player because he he did seem that, but he never he never kicked on. We 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 can expect to say like a player of any level to try and the first couple of weeks, couple of months of the their opening opening debut season to to find the feet to find the level of, that they're in. But then the, the season after that, you, you need to kick on. You can't just you can't just stagnate. You can't just stay the same. And that's exactly what he did. He didn't offer enough 
going for enough further forward. He's very, very similar to Idris Gay in that respect. And Idris Gay is 100 times better than what Morgan Stadlin offers. Is the concern with Schneiderlin then that when he did join Everton, we had a very, very successful second half to the season under Koeman, you know, the ones that stick out in the mind, the 4-0 against Manchester City, some other really big results, a good end to the season. You can't have a centre mid who doesn't kind of stand up and be counted when the going gets tough, which I think was the main issue with Schneiderlin last season, wasn't it? Possibly, yeah. And maybe that's why... Um, Sigurdsson struggled as well because you know the emphasis was just put on him to to do everything. You know, again I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago with the West Ham game. I just again I took a lot of criticism for for that performance and maybe rightly so, but I think at least he was trying to make something happen, make try make chances and opportunities. You know, for for the uh, for the attack and three and. As as was seen with West Ham's first goal, he he passed the ball forward into Tosin's feet. He Tosin lost it, and then he was he, both Snarl and the guy were out of position from from that pass. And West Ham ended up scoring. And so yeah, you know, it's not we know it. We all know it's not a Jessica Gay's game. It's um it's his game to sit sit back, win the ball back, and then pass it on to the the midfielders who can and create stuff. And I just don't see where at the moment Snarlin is going to fit into that mould. Schneiderlin then dropped from the from the 18 completely on the weekend, Chris, and mm. another man who was completely bombed from the squad, John Joe Kenny, our reporter Adam Jones, uh, expressed you know that he he felt sorry for Davis uh, being dropped to the bench and, and sorry for Kenny to be out the squad completely with Seamus Coleman returning. This kind of then sparked a little bit of debate on social media, and one of the comments that stuck out for me, Chris, was that mm. sentiment doesn't get you anywhere anymore is, is that something you'd agree with or do you think John Joe Kenny maybe merited a place either in the squad or had ran Seamus Coleman quite close for a starting spot after after Seamus had kind of struggled to find his feet in the in the first few games of the season yeah, I think neither of them have had particularly amazing starts to the, the season um, Ken, Kenny and Coleman yeah um, she, Seamus struggled a little bit before his injury and hadn't really hit the heights that you'd, you'd have expected from him. I mean, he had, that, he had that great comeback last season after his awful double leg break and when he ended up running the length of the field against, I think, was it Leicester, Leicester. on his first game back in the last minute, he showed he was very much back up to speed. But this season, the early days on the, on the silver, it had not, it not been those sort of levels. And then Kenny had come in and he, he was his usual steady self, but there were a couple of um, times when he'd, he'd been caught out. So... Um, I don't think either of them have been amazing, but ultimately, like um, Ian was saying about um, Gomez and Davis, if you look at the two players, ultimately, Coleman is the is the, is the senior player out of the two, the one who's gone and uh, done it over a prolonged period of time. So once he was fit again, um, I think Silva was fully justified in sticking him back in. I think the problem is being outside the 18 is that if John Joe isn't actually playing as the starting right back, what does he offer you at the bench? He's only got a certain amount of options on the bench. Yeah. And if he feels that he can't really cover too many other areas, he can, you know, he could switch over, play left back, I suppose, at a pinch, but he's got Leighton Baines for that. So if he's not actually in the starting 11, well, maybe he doesn't need to to have him on the bench. It's, it might sound awful that, you know, oh, he's, he's out of the 18, but if he's not starting, you don't necessarily need him as an impact substitute. He's not, not going to maybe potentially come on and win the game, is yeah. he, for Everton? I, I, I think it goes, like, I kind of agree with Chris there. That goes back to what I said about Davis. I don't think it was harsh to drop Kenny. I was surprised, though, in the fact that Coleman's obviously being injured and maybe he wasn't up to full fitness. So 
in the, in the sense that he wasn't in the squad if if Coleman was to get injured or sent off or, or whatever that we wouldn't have a direct right back replacement in in Kenny to come on. But I think yeah, I mean Kenny's been. I'd say Kenny's been average to solid. I don't think he's been amazing. I think, he's, if anything, he's probably been better going forward than Coleman. I think Coleman's still been solid defensively. But what, what, looking at the bigger picture, what are Everton trying to achieve here? You know, you need to be in that that squad in that first eleven on merit. Kenny's done. Kenny's done well. But has he earned a place in that team? right away before the you know effectively what is the captain now and what is our first choice right back probably not so yet Coleman should have come right back in the team and it, it was the right decision I think these players as in Dominic Carver-Lewin Davis and Ken, and Kenny um, probably a couple of other youngsters as well the, it's it's going to take time but they've got to earn the place you can't just you can't just last them in the team because the you know the, the local lads and the, they maybe support Everton and yeah the crowd are obviously going to get behind them but you know, you look at there, Dominic Carver-Lewin, he's, he's taken his chance now. He's come off the bench and he scored. So he's going to have a shout for maybe um, a start, a place in the starting lineup effectively over the next couple of games. Kenny, yeah, he's, he's done well, but he, he probably needs to do more to, um, to, to to keep that place as right back. Saying that, I would say that I thought it was uh, a, quite a reckless challenge by Seamus Coleman for the penalty. I know, obviously, the crowd were booing Zahar afterwards. They felt he went down easy, but... You know, he wasn't going anywhere at that particular time. And, um, you know, I love Seamus Coleman. He's, he's a really, he's, first and foremost, he's a, he's a great guy, but also on the pitch, he's, he's a very clever player. He's completely different than um, a lot of players who are academy schooled. He's just got that um, yeah. that um, sort of individuality about him, off the cuff sort of um, approach to football. But in that particular moment, um, I thought it was a bit of a, it, you know, it was silly from Seamus and it could have cost them the game. Absolutely, and that brings us nicely on to then the moment that followed Crystal Palace. I'm not even going to try and attempt to pronounce the penalty taker's <laughs> name. <laughs> Anyone got a better effort than me? Mil- go on, Mil- Chris. Go on, Chris. <laughs> Milelovic. Mil- the, we'll set number four. Begins with an M. <laughs> yeah. He steps up to take the penalty. Uh, I think we all probably had our heads in our hands. And Jordan Pickford, you know. He hasn't just got a knack of saving penalties. He's got a knack of saving really important penalties. Obviously, the most uh, the, the example that stands out is England in the World Cup. But Hadjik split, I think the, the game was kind of on a knife edge yeah. at that point. West Ham last season, that could have swung the pendulum and we end up uh, beating them 4-0. How important was that to, to, to the game? Because if that goes yeah. in, you're staying in defeat down the battle, yeah. really, aren't you? Yeah. I would, I would say what I do like with Jordan Pickford and penalties is his approach to penalties. Yeah. He tries to make something happen, whether it happens or not. You know, he's, he, he, you know um, toss of a coin if he goes the right way or not. I mean, although he, he had gone and he ended up saving it with his legs. But, you know, when he's smacking the crossbar and he's doing his, his antics, that's what you want. You, any little advantage that you can try and get into the penalty taker's head, you know, within the, the, the laws of the game, obviously. But, yeah, he, he sees it as a challenge. He knows it's his big moment. You know, it's... It's a chance to be, you know, if it goes in, well, you know, he's nothing lost there from his point of view as a goalkeeper, but it's a chance for him to be the hero. And yeah, he, he, he does take, um, uh, he takes it to the penalty taker and tries to um, make it that that duel. But yeah, in, in, like we're talking about fine margins, it, it, it was crucial. Everton possibly might have come back for a point, but it would have changed the whole dynamic of the game, would have opened it up. Everton would have had to have... Um, 
been a lot more gung-ho in their approach. You'd have been one nil down and they could have easily conceded a second and ended up losing 2-0 on, on the counter-attack. So yeah, it, it, it was a huge moment and um, it, it, was, it, it was great to see, to see him save it when you know he'd, he'd almost gone, he'd made his decision and then catch it with his legs. Obviously, another. I think that he ends up getting a touch to the one that hit the hit the crossbar in in the first half. But Pickford kind of came in under the, for a, a little bit of stick from from some sections this season, especially I think after his antics in the in the World Cup. And so was it was it good to see Pickford, you know, be the hero again? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I've mentioned it a couple of times. I mean, I've, I've tried my best to like directly avoid criticizing him. I think he's maybe. Um, the phrase to say is he's not been at the level of performance that we as Everton fans should expect of Jordan Pickford, especially after his heroics in the World Cup. Again, it does go back to like the finest of margins in the um, in, in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, you could say, well, that's why we paid, you know, 30 odd million for Jordan Pickford or whatever it was, because, um, you know, he, he saved that penalty and effectively won us the game because the crowd just Kind of went mental and got got behind got behind the players. Dominic Carver Lewin and Tosin are going to get deployed. obviously as as they have, have been the past couple of days. But I've got no worries in Jordan Pickford whatsoever. I think he's going to be, you know, fingers crossed that you know one of the big um, big teams whatever coming for him. He's going to be our number one for for many years to come and potentially um, go on to be an Everton legend. And hopefully he's going to win a couple of trophies on the way. I think that that's got to that's got to be the aim. That's got got to be the aim initially. Now it's. It's breaking. It's short term. It's breaking into the top six with the team, um, top four, and then you know potentially going on to to greater things as well. But he's definitely captain material as well. Me personally, I don't know whether I, I like me goalkeeper as captain. But if uh, not if a fan op- of the Oliver Kahn type mm. keeper captain, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it. I just think I'd rather me me captain to be out in the middle of the pitch, defender, midfielder. I think you know they're, they're your two that um, you know can can get messages across to the players on the pitch. Look. We love Jordan Pickford, and I think he loves. He's just signed a six-year deal, is it? So he obviously loves being at Everton. I think the criticism, if you want to call it that, over the past couple of weeks, I, th- I think it's. I think it's been right. I just don't think his, his level of performance has been there. But that proves what type of player that he is. How, how class he is that he's done that and mm-hmm. saved that penalty. You you've seen probably only the the, the latter ends of, of Neville Southall's Everton career beast, but would would it be unfair to say that? Or, or put, putting too much pressure on Jordan Schultz, say he could be this generation's kind of Neville Southall. So he's a big character. He's a top keeper, you know, and, and I think he's someone that you know, especially uh, with England, that a lot of younger fans can really, you know, his celebrations and his yeah. kind of outlandish his celebrations on, on social media as well, kind of thing. You know, is he someone that people can identify with? Well, um, the bin man too. I'll, <laughs> I'll have to show me age here and put you right on that one. I, I very much saw uh, Neville Southall um, in his at pump. the peak of his powers. I don't. I'm <laughs> not quite old enough to remember um, '85 when obviously he got um, the um, Football Writers Player of the Year and Everton were at absolute zenith. But it's been argued he was probably at his best around 1990 um, under Colin Harvey when he was actually a bit more busier because the team weren't quite as good and. Um, he had more to do, and um, my first Everton game was 1990. So um, yeah, so I, I saw Neville Southall very much at um, <laughs> the, the peak of his powers. Um, comparing Jordan, but Neville Southall was the best player in his position in the whole world, and I don't think you could say that about many other Everton players. Certainly, while they were at Everton, so just sent shivers down my spine with that saying there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
So to compare anyone to him is 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 tough, really. Um, John Pickford is a very promising young goalkeeper, but you know he, he's not quite the the best in the world in his position. He's it's great that he's England's number one, and it's the first time really that Everton have had that. They've had Gordon West was capped for England while at Everton, but he was never England's number one. Obviously, that was the Gordon Banks era. So it's a it's a unique um, experience for Evertonians now to have England's number one. I mean, there's a there's a debate going on about the fact that it was flashing up on the on the <laughs> scoreboard at the weekend, a bit controversial. England's number one, but the crowd was singing it. The crowd was singing England's number one, so they're obviously very proud. He's a real bubbly character, John, but what it brings with that, the responsibility of being in England, any England player, but certainly the England goalkeeper when you're last line of the defence, it puts you in the spotlight unlike um, any other player, really. Any mistake you're going to make is going to get picked up on and obviously we talked about what happened in in the Spain game um I wasn't particularly happy with that I was glad one there was an incident on Sunday when um the ball there was a ball over the top and uh, Jordan just put it into touch and yeah. I thought you know there's times when you've got to do that um I think it's great that he's he's so comfortable with the ball at his feet and that's great the way he can set up attacks and I think that's the, the right way of using his fancy footwork is you know, picking out a pass, but I don't like him or any other goalkeeper dropping the shoulder, trying to outfox um, a striker because there's only going to be one winner when you do that. And he might get away with it nine times out of 10, maybe 19 times out of 20 over a season, but it only has to happen once over a season and they scored a goal. So I think cut out the party pieces when you're up against a striker, play it simple then and know when to utilise that footwork. After the game then, uh, Adam Jones done his usual player ratings and one thing that sparked a, a lot of debate, it also revo- resulted in me being called a Tory at one point, <laughs> uh, was, my, <laughs> was Michael Keane being given a six. Ian, harsh? I'm going to have to have a word with that lad. Going to have to take him in to the Ian Crawler. Ian so Crawl just before Ian gets going, that, how, how do you get branded a, a Tory? Well, just basically a, a guy kind of, <laughs> You know, we're all up for constructive criticism and, and a bit of light-hearted debate, but some some guy absolutely two-footed these player ratings. So I just went in for, you know, a, a nice civil debate and, and was somehow called a Tory. And then I was told that I couldn't be I couldn't be from Walton because I called him a moron. And the people from Walton don't know the word moron, okay. has, which I Sam wholeheartedly that, disagree with. He's got that, like, blonde Boris Johnson-type look, hasn't he? You know, <laughs> it's massively me, offensive, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I prefer to think David Beckham. <laughs> we know you're not a Tory, Sam. It's fine. Thanks, Ian. What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> was it harsh to give Michael Keane a six? I've seen one fan say that he should have been given a ten. Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit harsh to to, um, to give him a six, especially... I wish Adam was here so we could really go in on him. Well, he's this. conveniently not here, isn't he? Yeah, it's he's a convenient day off. Um, yeah, I think, you know... You don't, you don't want to give it too high. You know, It certainly wasn't a ten. Probably maybe wasn't even a nine, I think. I, th- I think the promising thing for me, it's just the partnership between Keane and Zuma, um, between both of them. Individually, maybe, yeah, they could, you know, you know, raise performances, obviously. I think anyone can anyone can do that. I think maybe, you know, if I'm going to give a number for the, the player rating, you're probably going to, you're going to look at maybe a seven or an eight. And the fact that Keane was given the assist for, for Tosin's goal, yeah. I think that, Potentially boost him up to a to an eight, but we all know why. Adam. Definitely meant that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a, it, was a, it wasn't a hoof; it was a search and ball straight yeah, defense splitting pass. Definitely. But we, like I say, we all know why Adam gave Keane a six in the fact that he had a debate with Chris last <laughs> week and who who should be in the the team when Mina comes back in and Adam 
chose Zuma and Chris sat to me right here chose yeah. uh, Keane. So look, I, I, I think player ratings are, you know, I, I would, yeah, obviously it's subjective, like everything in football, it's all it's all about opinion, isn't it? Adam seen it slightly different. He might have seen Keane make a, a couple of mistakes, but I, I think for me, like I said, the, the the partnership between Zuma and Keane is is the, the overall positive for me. And I think you know, Mean is going to have to give be the a partnership bit, a ten, then Ian. Yeah, I'd, I'd give the partnership a nine, maybe or something like that. But I think you know, Mean is going to have to uh, buy the time, certainly with them too. Especially if you're keeping clean sheets, you can't, you know, you can't. I know a lot of shit, like we just said, a lot of that goes down to Jordan Pickford, obviously. But you know, I think a seven or eight would have been fair. And and Chris, Adam's reasoning for the six was that he thought the Keane struggled in the first period. Is is a six? If you were on player ratings duty, <laughs> what, what are you going for there? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well. I thought both centre-backs um, played very well. Um, after Adam and I had had our debates, um, we put it out to the, the Echo readers and uh, they were very divided as well. They didn't seem to know who they should go with, but ultimately they did go with Adam's choice. They said once everyone's fit, we think Zuma and Mina is the preferred partnership. I thought they both played, Zuma and Keane both played very well on Sunday. I'm going to stick in my camp and say, I think Keane was the standout of the pair. Yeah. Um, I'd have given him a good mark just for his overall performance. I don't think he, um, he particularly struggled. Uh, um, he did win a superhuman amount of headers in that yeah. second half, didn't he? Zahar was obviously a real handful for all of Everton's um, back four and um, he certainly kept them on, on their toes. But I thought, yeah, he, like you said, dominant in in the air. And then he just goes and finishes it all off with that um, lovely pass for, for Tosin's goal. But um, yeah, so I'd have given him a, a higher mark. But it is intriguing player ratings, the sort of traction we, we get from them. Fans like to, to read them and everyone's got their own opinion and um, without becoming a, a, a big Adam Jones apologist, um, <laughs> I think people sometimes need to realise that um, obviously our echo reports have got a lot on their plate on a, on a, ma- a match day. If you just go there as, as a specky and you're just watching you know, the game, that, that that's your sole interest. I mean, he was also... Um, producing a, a piece on Andrew Gomez at, at, at the same time. So perhaps certain players can sometimes get overlooked, but it is interesting how we ended up with, um, with World War Three because somebody gets a six when uh, you thought he maybe should have got an eight. Is Adam Jones a Tory as well? I, I'd assume so by looking at him. Definitely I also Tory. like the fact that then basically Bees' point is that it's Andre Gomez's fault that Michael Keane got a six <laughs> and I was called a Tory. In, in, in the game then, Marco Silva had the mildest touch. Yeah, he brought on. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he brought on. Cenk Tosin, they both scored. One of the, the, the most interesting change I thought was Adam O'Luckman. Probably the best I've seen of him in an Everton shirt, Chris, this season. Yeah, because there hasn't been a, a great deal of um, opportunities for him. It was interesting when he got that start against Southampton in the in the League Cup. There were a few moments then when you think, oh yeah, he's obviously an exciting talent and he can beat a man, but then ultimately got the hook on, on the hour mark and... Um, had flattered to deceive. Yeah, it was it was good to see um, Adam Ola in the thick of the action. He, he actually turned 21 the day before the game, so it was a, a celebratory weekend um, for him, getting into the, the, the thick of action. And it was a great um, cross there, nice um, measured pass up into the air for, uh, for Calvert-Lewin to, to head home. So hopefully that can give him a confidence boost and Silver think that he can be counted upon to uh, deliver at uh, the right times. It's a strange one with Luckman, isn't it? Because... 
you know, we fought so, and Silver and Brands fought so hard to keep him in the summer, and he's he's barely featured. So it's it's kind of almost before before Sunday. It's kind of, you you could almost say why did we why did we try so hard to to keep this you know youngster who seemed to not have a bad attitude, but he obviously clearly wanted to leave. Um, I think it's very hard for any any player, whether you know you know, to to come on and to have an impact within 15, 20 minutes. You know, I think that's what separates the the great players from just the the average players, really. Because I mean, you you look at Luckman, he, he started in the um, the league cup against Southampton, didn't he? And he he had I think he had one chance where he. He, he kicked it right at the keeper and it was a good chance. I wouldn't have took him off on that game. I think he Walcott came on for him. I would have kept him on. Um, so he's, his, his chances have been limited. Um, but he, he's obviously come on on Sunday and he's, you know, again, like I mentioned with Dominic Carver-Lewin, he's, he's effectively showed to Silva, I'm still here and he's taken a chance and it's, it's got to bode well for, you know, strength and depth in the squad. Is he going to be better as an impact player? Like the likes, the three of them, Tosin, Luchman and uh, Dominic Carvert-Lewin. By the looks of it, yes, at the moment, because when they start games, we, we seem to have struggled to make things happen. Eff- effectively, you'd say the last 20, 15 minutes of the game, the Crystal Palace team and especially defence were tiring and we brought fresh legs on. And it, it proved that because we all know Cenk Tosin's not the, the fastest of players, but he burns Sacco off, didn't he, for that pass? And he was he was well in front of him. But but Luckman, yeah, I, I think his long term future at Everton's certainly still up in the air. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Even in January, he still might think I'm not getting enough game time, and he could maybe even go out on loan. But I think he's he's certainly got something to offer, and he's got to be breathing down Walcott's neck as well. For me, to be honest, I, I, like talked about Walcott in the past, I, I love him. I, th- I think he's a great player, but he did miss a a goal-scoring opportunity, a glaring chance. chance against uh, Crystal Palace. It should have been in the back of the net. It should the have been. exact same chance as well that he had against Southampton, more yeah. or less, wasn't he? Yeah, slotted. similar sort of position. That's yeah. why he struggled, I think, to, to maybe cement himself, in his whole career to cement himself as a an out-and-out forward because he probably needs three or four chances to, to score, the, score the one goal. Um, and maybe that's why, you know, bigger teams other than, than Everton and Arsenal have, have never really come in for him. I don't know. I, just, I, think, I think it's a positive that Luchman has now made that impact and he's he's got to be pushing Walcott for a place. Luckman pushing Walcott, Chris? He, or is that from he four stand yeah. to be settled? He, um, they were very good at Leicester, but I thought the the whole front four, starting from four, were, were poor against Crystal Palace. They struggled to to break them down. Even uh, my mate Bernard, um, he, <laughs> he was excellent, wasn't he, at Leicester? But, he was. Um, but he was a disappointing um, game. Didn't quite happen for it's him. Probably because he had the high of reading your three part <laughs> Bernard story, and then you know you didn't produce anything on him the week, the week after. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, Luckman's got to be doing it on a more consistent basis, hasn't he? If he's going to yeah. be um, challenging Walcott at the moment, he's impact substitute. Um, so yeah, that, it is it is tough for him, and he's probably seen. His chances what? have been sorry, yeah. his chances have still been limited though, haven't he? Yeah. Since since then. So as I was saying, it's it's very tough to come on with 10, 15 minutes to go and, and make that impact. And obviously yeah. when you say an impact, you need to get an assist or score a goal, which which he did. Um whether that, so doing that is gonna push Walcott to, to hopefully play better. That's the yeah. theory, isn't it? Yeah, hope hopefully. Um but yeah, it, it, 
it all went good, well, well for him on on Sunday. But he he needs to be doing that week in week out, and also showing Marco Silver in training that he's doing that. I mean, I'm we're not privy to what's going on at Finch Farm, but um, hopefully if he starts producing then because um, they yeah we, there's competition for places all across the park now, and then I suppose depending on how you want to mix things up in the forward line, I mean, could there even be scope for um, putting um, Bernard out onto the right and having Richardson on the left if you wanted to change things up at sense forward it is is quite fluid in that um respect but yeah he's probably seen what um what Sancho's done going to Borussia Dortmund and has now broke, broken into the England team again we've had an article today where Nigeria are relentlessly chasing him again i mean he's already turned them down once um he's a world cup winner with England at under 20 level he cites A.D. Bufroy, the under-21 coach, is helping him regain that focus after the summer speculation. So, I mean, it's not what Everton need. I know it's not about his club, but just that going on in the background, the fact yeah. that he's, he, you know, he remains as a tug of war o- over his services. He seems very torn. There's a lot going on in his head. So just hopefully he can focus on that football and delivering for Everton. I think the problem was in the, the summer... The reason he went out, sorry, uh, Vlasic went out on loan and he stayed is it it would send the wrong signal for Everton to abandon a young English youngster so so soon, whereas Vlasic was seen as more um, dispensable in that respect because they're a similar age and a um, um, similar kind kind of player. So it is interesting to see how he's doing well uh, in Moscow, whereas obviously Luckman continues just to have a, a bit part role at Everton. And that, that brings us to the to the final segment of, of today's podcast. Obviously, we'll look at the Manchester United trip in more detail closer to the weekend. But how close then from everything we've spoke about today, the likes of Davis, Gomez, you've got Pickford, Michael Keane, Admiral Luckman. How close is Silva to now his Everton team taking shape and finding that best 11? Because you could argue that team on Saturday, with the exception of Yeni Mina, is Everton's strongest team. I think I mentioned it before. I think he, he has found his best team. Um, oh Yeah, I think it, it's hard to say on paper. I mean, we 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 really haven't seen me in a play. So, you know, at the moment, his best team is pretty much, I think, what was on on the pitch on what started the, the game on Sunday, um, without a doubt. And I think that's that's a positive thing because you've got your your front four, obviously the usual players, including Sigurdsson in that. Um, who are gonna the ones to make things happen? I think, although I've, I've had a little go at Walcott, I think he still cements a place in that team. He he, st- he stays in that team. I just I just don't see any other player that's gonna uh, across the park that's gonna push anyone else out the way, especially on form as well. We've won the past three. Um, okay, we changed it. Charleston family and now for Tosin. I, th- I think so. I think we've been calling for that. I don't know what you think, Chris. I think we've been calling for that since probably the Wolves game, really. Um, I mean, I know we were sent probably probably after the, the, the Arsenal, was it the Arsenal game where he, he did play on the left and we had Dominic Carvert-Lewin. Mm. It was the away one and obviously Carvert-Lewin, he didn't really take his chance. He, he fluffed his lines slightly. So we were calling for it then. I think that's when it was like, with Richardson up front, Richardson up front. Without a doubt, I think that starting eleven. Is is the eleven, and then we'll see what Mina can do over the over the coming coming weeks. Bar barring any injuries, then that I'm, I'm very happy with that until January till the summer. A fair assessment, bees, or are you going to rip crawl apart no, in the final? No, what I would say is, um, <laughs> Silver has shown that he is tactically tactically flexible, and yeah. he he can be fluid in his his approach. Um, he's used. Um, we did a piece this morning on the centre backs, pointing out that the fact he. 
he has used three centre-backs on various occasions with Watford last season. So he's not as, af, afraid to mix it up. I know Everton have had uh, consent. I mean, Ian said he had a chill down his spine about Neville Southall being the world's number one goalkeeper. It sent a chill down your spine thinking about Everton's experiments with three oh, at the back over the years. Chelsea but, on bonfire, yeah. the, the most notable example. <laughs> yeah, of that. And, well, Arsenal last season when uh, Allardyce tried it. But um, <laughs> yeah, so... But Silver himself is—he's not averse to that. Um, he, he has used it, and then going in that, that front four again, I'm doing a piece which will be published by the time uh, the listeners hear this one, um, all about how it's perhaps horses for courses in regards to Everton's attacking options. Tosin and um, Calvert Lewin both came off the bench and scored, but maybe it is certain games perhaps away from home where Richarlison has more space to. Um, to work in where he's he's more effective at the number nine. I don't think you can be pinned down to um, a certain eleven. You could we can all debate what is Everton's best eleven on paper, but I think over a thirty-eight game Premier League season, obviously injury suspensions, etc., and um, the type of opposition that that can uh, change around. So I, I think that um, everyone's available now, but um, for certain matches, he's obviously go, he's going to change it up, and I think you've got to have that flexibility in the in the modern fo- um, Premier League. Big squad, isn't it? I yeah. think you can't argue, you can't argue with that at all. Um, and as proved on Sunday, three players came off the bench, came on the pitch, and just completely uh, changed the game in the positive way for Everton. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Ian. Thank you all for joining us. We'll be back later on the week to preview that big trip to Old Trafford. Thank you very much, and have a good week. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.